Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Wednesday edition of PFTPM, really the only day of the week that we do PFTPM during the season, and that wasn't even the plan. I just decided after the five weeks that we did it during the hiatus, what the hell? I'll try to do it once per week, try to keep it at a reasonable length, somewhere between a half hour and 45 minutes. We shall see if I am able to comply. One thing I've been able to do every Wednesday, because as the season rolls on and things are very busy, a mess starts to accumulate in my office. So... I've made sure that within the field of vision, you can't see the mess. If we were to pivot and turn, you would see. It's getting a little messy here halfway through the season. We're just trying to ride it out until the very end. And it is week eight. That begins Thursday night with the Bills hosting the Buccaneers. The trade deadline is coming up next Tuesday on Halloween. And it is a big week, generally, here at PFT. For starters, next Wednesday is the 22-year anniversary of the founding of this website, November 1, 2001. 22 years. I never would have dreamed it lasted this long. Still got to make it another week to 22 years. So I don't want to jinx it yet. We'll celebrate it next Wednesday with a special edition, weekly edition of PFTPM. Also, on our way home, Christmas book I posted for free last year on the website comes out next Wednesday. Pre-order the ebook for $3.99. I don't know why you can't pre-order the paperback. I don't make the rules. It's $9.99. Every penny I make is going to the Humane Society of Harrison County to help care for dogs and cats that are trying to find a home. I really don't care about the cats. I love the dogs. I love the dogs enough that I'm willing to let the cats come along for the ride. I can't separate the two. If I could, the money would only go to the dogs. The cats can go to hell. All right. And, you know, I say all that without acknowledging that my son and I were talking the other night about the possibility of getting a barn cat, of having a cat that we just keep in the barn because Macy, our dog, I don't think would tolerate another pet in the house. She barely tolerates the presence of my son and me. Jill is the alpha and Macy's very protective, but, but we've kicked around the idea, get a cat, keep it in the barn, go down to see it once or twice a day. Cats don't care. I'm down there three, four nights a week. I can hang out with the cat. The only problem is I'm allergic, but I take all sorts of allergy medication. So maybe I wouldn't have an allergic reaction to the cat since I'm on multiple different things to get me through what supposedly are seasonal allergies, but at some point they're not seasonal. At some point, you're just always allergic to something. All right, let's get to it. Trade deadline. I'm going to say what I say every year. I don't know why they have a trade deadline. Why not be able to do deals all the way up until the end of the season? Why is there an arbitrary cutoff as to when teams can engage in arm's length negotiated transactions? And if you have a team that's ready to trade a key player right at the end of the regular season, just before the end of the regular season, let's say we take it right up to the end of the regular season and cut it off there. If a team wants to trade a guy, why not? If somebody else wants to give up value, in the future, to get a guy that's going to have to be plugged in? I mean, how many guys are really plug and play in the NFL? There's always issues getting guys up to speed. If somebody wants to do it, then why not? 
as it stands, the Tuesday after week eight, now it's better than the Tuesday after week six, which is what it was 10 or so years ago, but they've added a week to the season. They've added a game to the season and they haven't adjusted the trade deadline. At a minimum, it's a no-brainer. If you have 17 weeks and 16 games and the trade deadline is the Tuesday after week eight, when you add a week, you move it to the Tuesday after week nine, right? I think it should at least be the Tuesday after week 10, maybe even later than that. And again, my preference would be no restrictions on the ability of two teams to engage in trades until the regular season ends. I don't like it. Never did. I'm a free market guy. Let two teams do business if they want to. It's not like somebody's going to do some inside deal and there's going to be collusion and somebody's going to hand someone a great player. It's not going to work that way. Anyway, next Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, that's when the window closes. One team I'm watching very closely, the Titans, because they've already traded safety Kevin Byard to the Eagles. Who else is available? Derrick Henry? If I'm the Bills, if I'm the Browns, I'm making a phone call. DeAndre Hopkins, is he available? If I'm the Chiefs, if I'm the Bills, I'm making a phone call. Let's see how aggressive teams will be if the Titans are open for business. Another team that I'm watching from the buy standpoint, the Jets. Why the Jets? Well, remember when Aaron Rodgers took his $33.7 million pay cut over this year and next year? One of the things he said is this gives us the flexibility to make some moves at the trade deadline. Okay. What moves does unofficial GM Aaron Rodgers want the Jets to make? I suspect he won't be bashful about making his viewpoint known to general manager Joe Douglas. So will the Jets do something? Will they shore up an area of need, offensive line maybe, between now and next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern? Something to keep an eye on. Dallas. AT&T Stadium. I saw this and posted it just before we started taping PFTPM today. There was a blurb about it in Sports Business Journal. Great resource for non-football, but still football stuff. Football business, obviously, because it's uh, Sports Business Journal. And this point is not made in the article at Sports Business Journal. The article is about FIFA executives visiting AT&T Stadium because AT&T Stadium, which is already going to host some of the 2026 FIFA World Cup matches, is in the mix to host the final. So they came back for another visit. And one of the big issues, how are they going to have grass grow in that stadium? Now, the NFL has said it's hybrid, it's hybrid, it's hybrid. Well, they're talking about installing a grow light system in AT&T Stadium to grow a full pitch of grass. Because in the past, what they've done when they've had grass at AT&T Stadium for international soccer, they put it on the concrete slab at the bottom of the building on the floor of the stadium. And the seams have been problematic. We hear about seams all the time. Remember when the... Uh, Texans, excuse me, used hexagonal trays that pieced together like a big puzzle. Those seams ended up being very hazardous. Players' cleats got, got caught in those seams. So to help get the final, what the folks who own AT&T Stadium, i.e. Jerry Jones and the Cowboys, are planning to do is put a system of lights in there to grow grass inside the building 
for soccer, not for football. This is the NFL's biggest weakness when it comes to the ongoing refusal to have high-quality grass fields at every stadium. The willingness of people like Jerry Jones, Stan Kroenke, the folks who own MetLife Stadium, to bend over backwards to give FIFA what it wants, grass field. And again, the NFL will say from time to time it's hybrid. I didn't see the word hybrid in either the Dallas Morning News article or the Fort Worth Star-Telegram article about this. Grass is what I saw. Grass, grass, grass. Not hybrid, grass. That's what FIFA wants. That's what FIFA gets. The NFL players want grass, but what do they get? They get nothing. They get word salad. They get contrived debates like the commissioner is saying, well, you got some players who want grass and you got some players who want turf. Name one. Current player. Name one current player. Not somebody who's a company man like Eli Manning, all due respect, getting a paycheck from the Giants and they're on artificial turf and he doesn't have to play on it anymore. It's very easy to say, yeah, turf is fine when you don't have to play on it anymore. Current players, they all, when they're asked about it, say grass. I've yet to see one say turf. But they won't get it because the owners don't want to spend on it. And really, there's nothing the players can do to force it until the current CBA expires. Are they willing to strike over grass? I don't know. Who's more willing to go a year without football, the players or the owners? It's always the owners. They don't care. They got other money. They got insurance. They got TV deals that, that will pay them the full amount of the money they're going to make anyway, even if there's no football. That was one of the things we learned back in 2011 during the lockout. So, you know, it sounds good to say the players will strike about it when the next CBA ends. I don't think that works. The only way it's going to work is a strong public pressure campaign on the NFL. And so far, they're deflecting it. They're using Big Shield to deflect it by saying there's a debate when there isn't one. By just throwing out statistics and paragraphs and talking points that obscure the reality that the players want grass, that high quality grass is better than the highest quality turf, but it's expensive. And the people who have all the money don't like to spend the money if they don't have to, and they think they don't have to. They'll do it to get soccer. They won't do it to protect the investments in their players. And that, that's the thing that continues to amaze me the most. Even if they don't regard their players as human beings, and many of them don't, I believe, you make an investment in these players. If they're not able to play, you're not getting the return on your investment. And if they're not able to play because there's a subpar playing surface, that's on you for not having the ability to get the return on your investment that you want because your player is injured because your home field is turf and you're not willing to spend the money necessary to have a high quality grass field. We used to do after further review on Wednesdays on PFT Live. Chris Sims doesn't do Wednesdays this year. He's doing Monday instead, which is great. So what I've done is I've deferred after further review to an as-needed aspect of this broadcast, program, podcast, whatever it is. Interesting development happened during the late afternoon window on Sunday in two different games being played at the same time. And let me back up a step here. We all know that in the NFL, for a catch to be valid, you have to get two feet in or one knee equals two feet, elbow equals two feet. But let's just focus on 
your feet. You got to get two feet in, not one. Two feet have to be in. And if you see a guy on the sidelines, do the toe tap, quick toe tap, boom, boom, step out of bounds. None of the rest of his foot touches inbounds, just the toes. It's a good catch. One of the things I learned from the league 10, 11 years ago, and it surprised me at the time, and we've seen it play out, where you're facing the field of play when the pass comes to you. Your toes are in, toes in, your heels come down out of bounds. That's not a catch. It's not enough for the two toes to be in if the rest of your foot comes down out of bounds. If you're facing the other way, looking over the shoulder, making the catch, tap, tap with your toes, step out of bounds, that's fine. I say that because Jake Bobo in the Cardinal Seahawks game and Puka Nakua in the Steelers-Rams game both made catches that had a middle ground between tap, tap your toes and step out and toe to heel, heel out of bounds, not a catch. In both cases, part of the foot hit in bounds, and as the natural movement of the foot continued, the foot finished out of bounds. It wasn't a toe tap. It wasn't toe heel, which is easy. It's boom, flat, up, out of bounds, no catch. This was something in between. The NFL's position was these are good catches. And the NFL insists these were good catches. Now, is it? I don't know. I don't know. Terry McCauley, the NBC rules analyst, his position is if it's one continuous motion, the entire foot has to stay in bounds. And this was continuous motion. The foot rolls. You see the Nakua play. The side of the foot hits. As it rolls, the foot goes out of bounds. It's something the NFL really needs to get some clarity on. Now, it was consistent. The worst outcome would have been one's ruled incomplete and one is ruled complete. But the NFL's position is apparently that toe heel is only going to apply when it is strictly and completely toes down, heels land out of bounds. If part of your foot and you're not doing toe heel, if part of your foot is in, and as your foot continues to roll, as your body continues to move, if it goes out of bounds, that's a catch. So, I look, I, I remember when and where I was when I first found out about the toe-heel rule because it's counterintuitive. I got two feet in. That's it. Play's over. I got my two feet down. My two feet are down. doesn't matter if my heels land out of bounds. I got my toes in. My toes are in. If, the, if that part of my foot hits before the rest of my foot's out of bounds, I'm in bounds. That's what it should be. Maybe that would eliminate the confusion. Let's just get rid of the toe-heel rule. If you get part of your foot in before any of your foot's out, you're in if you get both of them in. So I've never seen that happen before. It happened twice in the same window. And watch, it's going to happen all the time now. But the NFL's position seems to be it's a catch. As long as it's not toe heel, maybe in the off season, they just get rid of the whole toe heel thing and just say, if your feet are down, any part of your feet, you're good to go. And one thing I need to do, and I meant to do it before we got started today, but you know, the rest of my work responsibilities got in the way. I want to look at the rule book and see if that's even in there. This may be one of those things that isn't even in the rule book, but they come up with this enforcement idea that has never been codified. I want to see what the rule says. I'll look it up. And when I write this up with this clip, Hopefully I'll remember 
to actually find the rule and we'll frame it that way. Let's see what the rule says. Then let's figure out whether or not the NFL is properly applying it. All right. Let's answer some questions. I know I don't have much to say today. I'm not going to just sit here and talk simply because we're doing this. There's got to be something worth talking about. There's going to be some stuff in the questions worth talking about. PFT PM Posse. How difficult are the jobs at 345 Park Avenue, considering they're too lazy to fix the officiating functions? I've always said the job of NFL commissioner isn't that hard, considering the money keeps rolling in regardless, and it would be much better if he, they didn't regularly step on rakes, to use one of my favorite metaphors. And I think of Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons, where he he somehow ends up with a whole bunch of rakes, and he steps on one after another. Okay. This dovetails from a point that I made on PFT Live about the NFL's refusal to tear the officiating function down and start over. Number one, they're cheap. Number two, they're lazy. They don't want to take the time to do it. Number three, they're concerned about unintended consequences. They think they're going to screw it up. So let's just keep it the way it is because we could actually make it worse like we did in 2019 when we came up with replay review for pass interference calls and non-calls, and it was a debacle. We did that. Let's not do that again. Let's let's choose doing nothing. The devil we know over the devil we don't know. So look, here's the bottom line. A lot of people don't want to work harder than they have to. You're getting paid well. You're doing your job. Nobody's complaining. Path of least resistance. Doesn't matter. Too much work. Too much effort. We're fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. This is fine. That's the game they're playing. That's the risk they're taking with the sport we all love. The people who are the stewards of the sport, they're not going to be there forever. I really do believe that their attitude is, yeah, you know what? There may be a big scandal because of the whole gambling thing. There may be a Tim Donahue thing. There may be something else we're not thinking of. That'll be for the next person to worry about. We're not going to worry about that. You know what we're going to worry about? How much money we're making right now. And we're making as much of it as we can. And we're not spending it on things we don't need to spend it on. Because who really cares? Who really cares if we get some calls wrong? Who really cares if we make some mistakes? Who really cares? What's our return on that investment? How much do we make? Do we make any more money at all by spending the money necessary to completely revamp the officiating function? No. But what they need to be concerned about is how much money it's going to cost when the shit finally hits the fan. When there is a scandal that gets the league sued, that gets people prosecuted, that gets Congress to set up an agency that will have regulatory authority over the NFL. That's what they need to be concerned about. And that's going to complicate our lives as fans, members of the media. We're the ones who are going to have to figure all this out and cover that while we still cover what's happening in the NFL. I don't want that. I don't want something to undermine the status of the NFL to cause it to diminish, to cause fans to say, this is fake, this is phony, this is rigged, I'm doing something else. And that's what they have to worry about. There's an arrogance to all of this. No one's going to quit watching. What else are they going to watch? Baseball? And that's how you get yourself into a potential problem. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And the NFL right now is being very hoggy about the money it's making and the unwillingness to use that money to make the game better and to protect the sport against the threat of a major gambling scandal that will hurt the sport in ways that it may never recover from. 
And as somebody who loves pro football, who's been following the sport for 50 years now, this is my 50-year anniversary of really being an adamant, constant, I was eight years old, fan of the NFL. I don't want that to happen. And this isn't my financial interest talking. This is, you know, pro football has been a big part of my life, especially in the fall. That Sunday ritual, looking forward to the next games. You put a lot of mental energy into that. You put a lot of heart and soul into that. You feel better if your favorite team wins the next day. You feel bad if it doesn't. You look forward to the games. Those three hours are magical. You get a complete break from everything that's going on in your life, everything that's going on in the world. You get swept up. You don't want those games to be diminished. You don't want those games to be undermined. You don't want the sport to be less than it is, all because the people who are in charge of it now aren't willing to spend the money, aren't able to spend the time, and aren't confident that they can come up with a way to make things better without making things worse. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. PFT, PM Posse, why aren't the Cowboys involved in some of the bigger trade talks, especially since most trades require relatively little in return to acquire a good player? Do other teams not like doing business with the boys and or the Jones family? I don't think that's it. Shereen Williams nailed it today on PFT Live. Jerry Jones is in this, we're not going to make any false moves here. We're not going to initiate any talks because they gave up too much for Trey Lance. And they know it. And everybody else knows it. So once bitten, twice shy is the Cowboys' approach to the trade deadline. And that's a shame because maybe they could do a deal that would help them. And there's a way to do it where you don't hurt your leverage. I wrote about this yesterday. Call every team. Check in with every team. We're just seeing who you may have. I'm not saying we're going to do anything. We're just curious. We're curious. It's like going from store to store. You're shopping. What do they got for sale here? What do they got for sale there? What do they got for sale here? You know what? I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just looking. But you got to browse before you can even get to the point where you can have a conversation. This assumption that... If I pick up the phone and call, I'm going to put myself in a bad spot. It just seems weird. It does. There are plenty of win-win deals that are done. But back to Shireen's point, it doesn't feel like a win-win to give up a fourth-round pick and take on the full contractual duty to pay Trey Lance this year and next year. 49ers had to pay nothing. If the 49ers would have cut him, they'd have been on the hook for everything. 
minus the minimum salary they would have gotten somewhere else. They were thrilled to unload the financial obligation and get a fourth round pick. Thrilled. And the Cowboys weren't. And that's why Jerry Jones is being very careful about any deals at the deadline, even though they could make the team better if they could work something out. Ravi Buffalo, thanks for the Wednesday pod Wednesday or Wednesday. When when let me try it again. Wednesday podcast. How much should Sean McDermott be blamed for the offense issues in Buffalo? Has he meddled over influence Ken Dorsey? Isn't it the same friction that occurred with Brian Dable? Well, whatever happened with Brian Dable, it worked. They did well. This gets back to my fundamental belief that in today's NFL, pass happy, great quarterbacks, you need an offensive head coach. All due respect to the great defensive head coaches out there, plenty of them in the Hall of Fame, Bill Belichick, defensive guy who really did morph into both sides of the ball. You need an offensive coach because if you have a defensive coach and you get a great quarterback and things go well, it's bye-bye offensive coordinator. Now I got to find a new one. So Brian Dayball becomes head coach of the Giants. Ken Dorsey steps into that job. And maybe he's not good. We don't know. It's still early. That's the problem. This is something my son and I talk about, and I've mentioned this before. You got 17 regular season games last year, the playoffs last year, seven games this year. Is it really enough time to get to the point where you've learned the job, where you've settled into the job? Some people can do it right away. Some people take time. And Dorsey, for whatever reason, too reliant on Josh Allen. There's no effort to establish a running game. Something Chris Sims has been saying recently is go with a short passing game instead of a running game. Just something to, to draw the defense up a little bit so you can exploit it over the top. They, they spend too much time trying to use Josh Allen in a way that results in a spectacular play. And when it works, they blow the other team out. When it doesn't work, they get frustrated. They keep pressing. They keep trying too hard. People get frustrated and they lose. Four and three is inexcusable for this team, for that quarterback, for the skill they have. Four and three, no. They are in danger of not winning the division. They may even be in danger of not making the playoffs if they don't turn this around. And they got a short week, Thursday night. We'll see what they can do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Neil watches PFT. Have there been any NFL phenomena quite like the Taylor Swift phenomena? Closest I can think of was Tony Romo. Tony Romo Simpson Underwood. Was it Romo and Jessica Simpson? Was Carrie Underwood involved in that? I don't remember. I, I just remember Tony Romo going to Cabo. And that was during the bye week, 2007 playoffs. They got beat at home by the Giants. And Terrell Owens did the passive aggressive sniff, sniff. That's my quarterback. Don't. Don't pick on my quarterback. That's my teammate. That's my quarterback. And his point was, go ahead and do it, please. This Taylor Swift thing is huge because for the first time ever, since the NFL has become the biggest thing around, the NFL has found something even bigger to latch on to. Usually the NFL is the shark with the, what are those fish called? The fish that, that like are the parasite fish around the shark. Now the NFL is the parasite fish around the shark that is the whole Taylor Swift thing. So it's never done this before. It's never seen this before. And it's it's doing what it should do. It's grabbing the tiger by the tail and holding on for as much of the ride as it can. And Sims and I talked about this the other day. If you're bothered by cutaways of Taylor Swift, I mean, 
they always cut away. They always cut away to the crowd. They show the sad fan face, somebody you don't even know. They can either show somebody celebrating that you don't know or somebody sad that you don't know. Or they can cut away to Taylor Swift, whose presence at these games has caused more people to watch football. Don't you want that as a football fan? Don't you want more people to enjoy it? Don't you want it to be more successful and thrive more, be more of an event, more people to talk to about it, more people who care about it? It just feels bigger the more people that are following it. So the only counter to that, somebody raised this point with me. Some of the folks that go to the games and they get all dressed up and they've got the sign, that's their moment. That's their chance. You know, if Taylor Swift was at the Cowboys-Chargers game, we might not have seen the Chargers superfan who somehow ended up at Arrowhead Stadium wearing a Buffalo Wild Wings hat. But that's the balance. It doesn't affect the game. The cutaways are part of the game. I don't know why it bothers people. It shouldn't. Because the NFL understands from the standpoint of its business, this is something to latch on to. Now, now, there is a line, and I've said this before, with that perception a few weeks back that a lot of calls were going Kansas City's way. The NFL, as a league office, can never be perceived as being anything other than impartial. And if you're too into the whole Taylor Swift thing, maybe you're too into the Chiefs. You want the Chiefs to go farther. Not that they would have you know, struggled this year to make the playoffs, but you got to be careful about the perception that you're playing favorites because a lot of people are watching and waiting to be able to say, aha, we caught you playing favorites. Tom Rivers, do you think the Browns made a mistake signing Deshaun Watson? And do you think they have buyer's remorse? Yes. Yes. At this point, yes. They paid him $46 million last year, minus whatever. And it, 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 they gave him the signing bonus. His salary was low. So it's not like they saved much during the 11 game suspension. Then this year, it's another $46 million. And what's he really done to earn that money? And they're on the hook for three more years. So yeah, I think they have remorse. They'll never admit it, but they have remorse. And there's something weird going on here. And point I made today on PFT Live, I would always be leery about trading for a guy who has decided he hates the team that he previously worked for. Because whatever happened, however it happened, whatever got him to that point, mentally, that may happen at some point when he's working for you. And with Watson and the Texans, it happens so damn fast. He signs a contract extension, Labor Day weekend, 2020. By the end of the season, he's done with the Texans and he wants out. And whatever the reason, whatever the explanation, he may have had great reasons for it. Well, maybe he'll find great reasons for it when he's working for you. And there's just something weird about all of this. I'm not ready to sign on to the idea that he's treating this as a trust fund, that he doesn't have to play, that he's guaranteed to make all this money. This is a guy who played with a torn ACL. This is a guy who took the bus from Houston to Jacksonville and back again so he could play because his rib and lung injury kept him from flying. This is a guy who wants to play, but something weird is going on. And it all goes back to that Ravens game when he was saying all week long, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, I'm going to play, and he didn't play. The aftermath of that, the comment from Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the team, that Deshaun was medically cleared. At some point, somebody's going to have this story on this about what really happened. And I think for now, everybody is being as careful as they can be. But behind the scenes, you know, we wrote an item a few weeks back 
after Deshaun Watson had multiple infractions in the week two Monday night game against the Steelers, the very aggressive face masks, the very egregious and blatant face mask fouls, the shoving away of the official who was pushing him away from a Steelers player. And there was nothing for that. No punishment at all, which is just weird. If he gets suspended by the league or the team, they could, they could say all those guarantees are gone. And if they have any reason to think that he's not playing by his own choice and they're papering the file and building a case, who knows where this is going to go. But I said earlier today on PFT Live, I think around week 15, there's going to be a Sunday splash report that sheds some light on whatever has been going on. Because we can just tell by looking at it, something is wrong here. Something is weird because no one's coming out to say everything's fine. It's just a misunderstanding. Here we are. We're arm in arm. Everybody loves each other. We're sorry that it got weird, but there's nothing weird. Everything's great. Nobody's doing that. It's just festering. Whatever it is that's wrong between the Browns and Watson is just kind of there and it's getting worse and it's getting weirder, and we'll just see how it all plays out. Mike Rifkin. Was the Kevin Byer trade just the start of the Titans starting a rebuild? If that's the case, what's the future hold for Mike Vrabel? I've already mentioned that I believe that maybe some of these other players who won't be part of the future are in play. I think Vrabel's safe. I think this whole thing is a product of, all right, we made some bad decisions when John Robinson was the GM. Rand Carthon is the new GM. Mike Vrabel is a great coach. We are consciously deciding not to prioritize winning for the balance of the season as it relates to what we can get for the guys we have. Now, Rabel will still prioritize winning with the guys he has, but the organization willing to part with some players that aren't going to be part of the future, understanding you get extra draft picks, and if your team struggles to win, you get better draft position with the picks already assigned to you. RB Roughnecks, how does the NFL transparently show there's no funny business in regards to having an official betting partner, CC Tim Donahue? I firmly believe there will be a gigantic scandal in the next decade in regards to gambling with one of the major sports leagues. I do too. Look, the NFL acts like it had to do the money grab. When the commissioner was interviewed by Mike Tirico in Kansas City week one, there was a question about the NFL's position on gambling. And Goodell said something along the lines of the Supreme Court decision from 2018 required us to be in this space. No, it didn't. The NFL was still allowed to hate gambling and shun gambling and have nothing to do with gambling. It just went from being illegal to legal in most jurisdictions. The NFL could still say, we're having nothing to do with it. We're not going to have any gambling partnerships. We're not going to do anything to make it easier for gambling. We hate gambling. We're not going to put a team in Las Vegas. We're not going to put a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. They decided, you know what? There's a hell of a lot of money to be made. And if we don't make it, someone else will. And so they set principle aside and they made the money grab. And now the problem is there's too many areas where it's hard to reconcile the money grab with the effort to preserve the integrity of the game. And it's not just the integrity of the game. It's the integrity of the wagers on the game. There's a different prong here to integrity of the game. Integrity of the game, i.e. outcome, winner, loser. Integrity of the wager, i.e. Bijan Robinson not playing much on Sunday. Falcons concealing that he was sick. You undermine the integrity of the wager on the game by not insisting that that information be made available to the people who are betting on the game. The spread in any given game is part of the integrity of the wager. Winner, loser, fine. But 
apply the spread, apply the point over under, all the different things you can bet on. The NFL needs to be concerned about the integrity of the wagers and the integrity of the game. And I don't think they've gotten to that point yet. That's why I think the scandal is inevitable. And that's why I think what the NFL is just doing now is make as much money as you can, make as much money as you can, make as much money as you can, and worry about the consequences later. As the great Daffy Duck once said, consequences, consequences, as long as I'm rich. Maybe that should be the NFL's new motto. Forget about football as family. Forget about football is business, but we say football is family because it's good for business. Consequences, consequences, as long as I'm rich. That's the new motto for the National Football League. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, Jason Fultz, does the NFL secretly enjoy the attention from bad calls? Why worry about length of games when eyeballs won't go away, even if it's a bad game and it's close? Are referees held to some kind of non-betting standard since they aren't full-time employees? All right, I'm going to focus on the early questions here. Jeff Fisher, when he was coach of the Rams and chair of the competition committee, he was on PFT Live and we were talking about replay review or whatever. And he said, and I think he was tongue-in-cheek, but also not fully. Basically, these controversies give you something to talk about. And the NFL's position, at some level, any attention is good attention. But when you've got legalized wagering, that's when it changes. I think back to November of 2008. I think I have a chapter about this in Playmakers. There was a game between the Chargers and the Steelers. The Steelers won, but they didn't cover. And there was an interception late in the game. Troy Polamalu returned it for a touchdown. The official, I think it was Scott Green, ruled that it, it wasn't a touchdown. And then they admitted it was a touchdown, but it was too late to do anything about it. And millions of dollars swung on the failure of the Steelers to cover. And that was when it was all illegal, except in Las Vegas and the rest of Nevada. Now that it's legal in most of the country, something like that happens. It's not just fodder for talk shows. See, I just don't think they've fully grasped the potential consequences or they don't care to try. They just want to stuff their pockets with all the money that they can. And someone else will get to clean up the mess when there's a scandal involving an official, a quarterback, a coach, somebody misusing inside information. What if the 
the the rest of the story for Bijan Robinson is that some people knew he wasn't going to play much, and they went heavy on the under, on his over under prop bets of yardage, catches, receiving yardage, touchdowns. It's just a matter of time before somebody misuses inside information in a way that causes a lot of money to change hands, and the sports books aren't going to like that at all. David Mitchell, Sam Howell is on track to shatter the sack record, the likelihood that he becomes shell-shocked like David Carr. I, I'm more worried about him not making it through the season. People are talking about the commanders trading Jacoby Brissett to the Browns. You need to have a backup there for Sam Howell. The way he's getting hit, at some point he's going to get hurt. So I'm more concerned about him getting through the season than what his, his psyche is going to be moving forward. But what, it, what happens when you get sacked a lot? This was a point Chris Sims made late in Eli Manning's career. The clock in your head gets too screwed up. You, you think you have less time than you have because you're so used to the walls closing in. You get to the point where you're making decisions faster than you needed to because the walls aren't closing in. But you're so used to it, you're just getting rid of the ball, making bad throws, making bad decisions because you think you have less time than you really do. Amused to death. Monday, you were ready to become an Eagles fan. Tuesday, it was all Kirk Cousins and Vikings love. What happened that you flipped so easily? Eagles even sent you the gorgeous hoodie Sirianni was wearing. The hoodie hasn't shown up yet. I think the truck pulled up a little while ago. I heard it out there. It's supposed to come by today at five. One for me and one for Sims. Look, I thought the Vikings were going to get the crap beat out of them on Monday night. I didn't expect it. I've been following this team for 50 years, folks. I know how these movies end. The Vikings have struggled in recent years against elite teams. They have not beaten a great team since maybe the Eagles regular season 2018. Remember, it was a late afternoon game. Eagles were down 14. Doug Peterson did the score touchdown go for two thing. And that was kind of the at the time when people were starting to understand the whole analytics argument behind being down 14, score a touchdown, go for two. Even though most people who broadcast college NFL games still haven't gotten the memo that there's an analytics-based reason for going for two. And if you get it, then you win the game with seven and you avoid overtime altogether. And if you don't, you just try again and go for two and go for the tie. Anyway, I remember that happening in that game. That, to me, was the last significant regular season win for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins has not had many great performances in prime time. This was a great performance in prime time against an elite team. And now you look at their schedule, and it opens up. There's a lot of games that they can win. They got the Packers. Falcons, that won't be easy. But these are the 49ers. They got the Saints. They've got the Bears again. They've got the Packers again. They've got the Raiders. All the way until week 15, there are winnable games for the Vikings. So, you know, my son's very happy about it. It was kind of nice to have a three-hour period where it actually went well, even though, you know, I was conflicted because I still want to be right. And I picked the 49ers to win and cover, and I wanted to be right. So it was a good night. And it's interesting to see the Vikings, after being left for dead, pulling their way back into it. And there's actually an argument to be made that a team that was regarded as potential sellers at the trade deadline maybe should think about becoming buyers. They get a big win at Lambeau Field. Who knows what they'll do before 4 p.m. Eastern next Tuesday. Curtis Allen, when you posted your review of the Geno Smith contract on March 7, you alluded to the 2024 salary has offsets if the Seahawks move on. Can you confirm the contract does indeed have salary offsets? That's not in his contract. His contract is very simple. They can get out of this thing after one year. I'm looking at it now. I'm looking at our item. $27.3 million is fully guaranteed this year. 
There's 12.7 million that becomes fully guaranteed February of 2024. They can cut him before that, just like the Raiders cut Derek Carr. If he's healthy, it's guaranteed for injury. If he can't pass a physical, they're stuck. If he's healthy, they can cut him and make it a one-year, $27.3 million deal. Yes, it's a three-year contract, $105 million. Total value, $28 million. $28 million for one year. That's the right number. And they can get away from it if they decide after this year to move on. There is no offset. Some of these guarantees beyond, go beyond a year, but there's an offset. So yeah, we still have the guy 12 million guaranteed, but someone else is going to sign him and you know we won't have to pay all of that money. That doesn't apply in this case. What else do we have here? What are the chances the Panthers trade away Adam Thielen? That's a question from Anthony James Jones. I have him and I'm debating making a trade before the deadline. Well, you know, we all care about your fantasy team. Um, I don't know if the Panthers trade him or not. Multi-year deal. I think there'd be a cap hit. It's not like the Vikings need him right now. I mean, you, you could make the argument that trade him back to Minnesota. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I hadn't thought about it, but... You know, the Panthers, if they lose this week to the Texans and fall to 0-7, why wouldn't you consider guys that aren't part of the future? What can we get for those guys from teams that are looking to add a player that will help them get over the hump? J.C. Carm, dumb question. Why do some teams wear the captain patches and some don't? It's just it's what the teams decide to do. Aaron Lambert is Matt LaFleur's seat warming up. Probably not. Maybe next year. You know, we still need to see what Jordan Love can be. He needed playing experience. We don't know how good he's going to be. Yeah, it hasn't been great, but maybe at some point it turns around. Guys get discarded too quickly at quarterback position. He sat on the bench for three years, right? 2020, 21, 22. Now he's finally playing. You giving him one year as a starter before you cast him aside? I don't think so. I think you got to give him another year and you got to give LaFleur more time. He's been great as the head coach of the Packers. But, but... Great quarterback makes a coach great. Great players make a coach great. And you go from Aaron Rodgers to a guy who's still unproven and try to find his way. All of a sudden, a great coach doesn't look so great. But I, and you know, the other thing about Green Bay, they don't have an owner who can roll out of bed and say, I want to make a change. So I think it gives LaFleur a little bit more of a cushion to try to turn this thing around. David Mitchell, Ron Rivera is dead man walking. Thoughts on firing him now and giving Eric Bieniemy the rest of the year to try to earn it. Need to know now if the next coach is in-house or not. I think at some point that becomes relevant. I just don't know when. I think if they don't make the playoffs, they'll be looking for a new coach next year. There's been some speculation if Bill Belichick is out in New England. Maybe that's who Josh Harris tries to hire. How much of the football operation do you want to give to a guy who hasn't really been doing a great job of acquiring talent in recent years? I don't know. Oscar SJW, are the Jaguars moving to London? Probably not. I think they're going to get a deal done to renovate the stadium in Jacksonville. They've got all the leverage they need. They've got another home set up. They don't even have to mention it. Everybody knows. If it doesn't work out in Jacksonville, it'll just move to London. Lee Dale, hello from the UK with regards to Olympic flag football. Why is no one mentioning how NFL players playing is denying the current USA flag football team the chance to win gold they play for years to win tournaments then it gets to the olympics and it's like thanks we'll take over now i don't know how prevalent the current u.s olympic flag football program is but 
Isn't that what they did with the dream team? Isn't that what they do with basketball every year? Isn't that what they do with hockey? The amateurs play. And then when it's time for the Olympics, the pros show up. So I don't think that's an issue. The bigger issue with NFL players, current players playing flag football in the Olympics, injuries, how you pay them if they get injured, and getting owners to agree to allow them to play flag football, knowing that if the player gets injured, I'm not going to have that player for some period of time. And players can get injured playing flag football. It can happen. And as, when, I, when I wrote that last week, somebody was like, oh, you can get injured rolling out of bed. Well, I will submit to you that the act of getting out of bed is somewhat less physically demanding than playing flag football. On the continuum of tackle football and getting out of bed, flag football is closer to tackle football than it is to getting out of bed. Mark, otherwise known as at Skullmark3124, would the Vikings be interested in Kyler Murray? No, I, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if the Vikings make a move at quarterback, it's going to be for a young guy that Kevin O'Connell believes he can properly tutor and develop and grow into a 10 or 15 year franchise quarterback. But after Monday night, I'm kind of in the camp of, hey, you know what? Kirk's 35. Let's let this thing ride a little bit because there's a chance it's working now that he's been there long enough with Kevin O'Connell. That it's all fitting together perfectly. Let's see if if that can lead somewhere good. All right. I should probably wrap it up. Um, yeah, I didn't expect to go this long today. I appreciate all the questions that fueled the conversation. Thanks, as always, for taking the time to ask great questions. Thanks for taking the time to listen, watch, etc. We'll be back Thursday morning for PFT Live and also the Joint Mega Picks podcast where we go through every game, and there are 16 again this week. It really is a weird scheduling quirk. Six teams were off in week seven. No one is off in week eight. Everyone is playing. We'll have all picks straight up and against the spread, and we will spend minimal time talking about my performance last week because it was not good. Thanks again. See you Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.